Futures Podcast, Coffee with Craig and James. I'm the editorial director of Channel Futures, Craig Yalberth, joining me as always for this special holiday edition, our esteemed news editor, Mr. Anderson, Mr. James Anderson. James, how the heck are you? What's up, Craig? Always wanted to be part of a holiday special. I guess this is that moment. It is. I I understand you were once part of an after school special. But a uh, holiday special, uh, this is your first. What a great place to be. Uh, and, and and what uh, better colleague to do it with than you, my fine friend, Craig? Oh, well, I don't know if you'll say that after you hear my little holiday tribute to you later in the show, but we'll, we'll see. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, oh boy. you're, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. So 2007 music, uh, this is Taylor Swift, unusual choice for me, but it is a holiday album. And of course, 2007 music goes along with episode 107. I feel like I need to explain this for every episode in case there are newbies out there listening, because as you have told me before, it doesn't really make that much sense. So there you go. Hey, man, I, I appreciate your uh, your integrity and your, your willingness to reiterate. I think that's wonderful. Is this a... Uh, I- Taylor Swift, 2007. I remember the first song I heard from her was Teardrops on My Guitar, but I don't think that was a Christmas song, was it? Uh, you're asking the wrong guy. Uh, I am definitely the furthest thing from a Taylor Swift expert out there. You had me fooled, buddy. <laughs> All right. So talk to me, buddy. Holiday season is here. Uh, what you been up to? Uh, personal deep dive? Yeah, let's let's do that personal deep dive. Uh, I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, kind of your your territorial homeland. Yeah, right? old stopping grounds. Uh, yeah, you know, normally I live in Illinois, but I'm here with the family and been really, you know, speaking of stomping grounds, I've been stomping all over uh, the Pacific Northwest in a, in a respectful way. I, I went down to Portland and Eugene, Oregon over the weekend and, uh, you know, drove back up just in time for this podcast. Well, you know, I went to uh, the University of Washington. We don't we don't like Oregon so much, uh, not the entire state. But uh, if you were in Eugene, if I'd known you were going there, I might have had you break into Autzen Stadium and like mark some red X's at, at the 50 yard line or something. But you, you didn't tell me. Yeah, I kept trying to get in fights, but uh, no one <laughs> would fight me. Um, what were you up to this uh, these recent times, Craig? Fights, fights on my behalf. I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, speaking of family, uh, just recently got back from uh, visiting the family up there in the state of Washington. My parents still live up there. So our paths, we were on opposite sides of the state. So our paths weren't going to cross. But, you know, I, I was trying to figure out at the time uh, when I landed, I, I like felt this something i don't i don't know what it was but i was wondering at the time if the state was uh, big enough for the both of us and it uh, turned out it was i guess yeah how's the phrase go the, these britches were big enough for 
both both of us to share. That's not it. Yeah. That's not the phrase. It, it was something like that. I think you uh, mixed about three different metaphors there, so much so that I, I couldn't even figure out what it was. I was getting too big for my britches. Ah, That's there you what go. It is. Maybe there the state the state was big enough for the both of us, but it but it was too big for its britches as mm. a result. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, we've both enjoyed some holiday time with the families. Uh, that's good to hear. We've both been sort of busy at work while not uh, on break, putting the finishing touches on some things that uh, you're going to be seeing on the website. We've got uh, a number of predictions pieces that are going up. Uh, we've also got our top stories of 2021. We've got some more stories based on the special roundtables that you and some of the other editors did at the Channel Partners Conference and Expo. Uh, so lots of good stuff uh, going up on the website. Excited about that. Yeah, it's been uh, an interesting time, Craig. Just we're all trying to get uh, our stuff done and and enjoy these holidays, but uh, we still want to come up with some juicy content for you, the readers, as you're sitting back and uh, chugging your eggnog. Um, <laughs> Chug your eggnog, open up your phone, your tablet, your laptop, uh, whatever you like to check channel futures out on and uh take a look and see what we've been doing so uh yeah there you go yeah so craig what do you say uh we hit up our first batch of guests yeah let's do that but uh i, I was thinking since we just have the one guest today and you did that one uh, solo again i appreciate that i thought maybe you'd offer up uh i, I understand you have some sort of a holiday thing uh, ready for us to discuss i don't know much about this but figure you're going to fill me in Oh, yeah, that's right, Craig. You know, we're all about education here at Channel Futures, and I wanted to hit you with a little bit more trivia. I feel like that's a thing we always like to do. How's some holiday nice. trivia sound? Hey, that sounds fun. Let, let's get to it. All right, so it's in some ways peripheral once we get into it, but the name of the trivia is called No Coal for You, and if this is a coal-themed trivia. Wow. And originally, I was going to quiz you on, like, you know how in stockings, like, you either get coal. I don't know if anyone actually gets coal, but, you know, theoretically, you'd either get yeah. coal or an orange or a clementine, some sort of citrus. Like, I would, sure. I would, that would happen. I would get citrus growing up. Um, I thought, well, I should play coal or clementine, and basically, I would list off a bunch of things, and you'd have to guess if I was referring to coal or a clementine. Well, that doesn't really make sense because there's really not a lot of overlap between those two. So I decided to just <laughs> grill you a bunch of questions about coal. How does that sound? That sounds good. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll kind of probably figure this out as we go along. How do we say? It's, it's a little bit more dynamic than just pure questions about, like, the black, rocky substance there's going to be some homophones involved, but it'll be fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun. If you um, say so. So, <laughs> all right. So starting off, this literary figure, kind of a little bit of an antagonistic figure, said this, quote, garments were invented by the human race as a protection against the cold. Once purchased, they may be used indefinitely for the purchase for which they are intended. Coal burns. Coal is momentary, and coal is costly. There will be no more coal burned in this office today. Is that quite clear? 
who was the literary character that said this? Well, whoever he was, he certainly had a way with words. But uh, uh, sounds like something Ebenezer Scrooge might have said. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, uh, feeling good. And that's uh, kind of the irony of uh, Mr. Scrooge's attitude, that he was so miserly, he wasn't even willing to offer coal, let alone a clementine, to uh, Mr. Bob Cratchit and his children. So, Ooh. quite the guy. I like that. Yeah, that was a good use of irony, uh, or a good use of bringing up irony on your part. Well, hey, you know, uh, thank Mr. Dickens. He was, uh, he knew his stuff. He, he could spin a good yarn, that's for sure. That he could indeed. All right, Craig, we're going to get into uh, pure data here. Uh, data focus question, changing pace away from the I'm going to enlist Digi's help for this one, if that's okay. Yeah, it's not necessarily digital data, but I guess I guess all data is. What do I know? Um, all right, Craig, this uh, is, I think it's like a coal organization. I don't know. It's the IEA, IEA. Um, they, uh, in 20, uh, after 2019, listed the list of countries exporting the most coal in 2019. So keep in mind, this is not the biggest producers of coal, but the mm -hmm. biggest exporters of coal. And wow. um, I know this is a hard question to get, but we're talking about two Asia-Pacific countries uh, that are in that general region in the, in the Asia-Pacific that landed in the top two coal exporters. If you can guess either of those two countries, uh, you will get this question right. Um, biggest coal exporters, Asia. Uh, well, just from the pure size, uh, I'm going to go with uh, China. That is not correct, Craig. Oh. That's why I tried to say exporters, not producers. But oh. um, I, they are, you know, I do think they are the largest producer. So mm. you, you, your, your heart's in the right place. So I'm, I'm guessing again. You is can guess again. We uh, Go south. Got to go Exporting south. Exporting of China. Okay, so somewhere down in the uh, Southeast Asia. Well, I, how about uh, even, India? Even off, the, off like the main continent. Oh, so if Asia I had Pacific. said India, that would not have been correct? You wouldn't have wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I didn't. Off the main continent. Um, oh, Asia Pacific, you said. So this could actually not be technically a country in Asia. Is that? Are you giving me a hint? Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's so I, I then Australia. Maybe I'd go with ding, ding, ding. That's oh. number two. So you get points for that for sure. Yeah. What, what was the other one? Indonesia. Kind of a hard one to get. Oh, but, Indonesia. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In, okay. Indonesia, Australia, Russia, the U.S. So well, I would have had the Russia and the U.S. if you'd have not. Uh, you know, that's the funny part is if you hadn't actually narrowed it down for me. I would have probably gotten Russia and the U.S. there on the top uh, four, but uh, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. All right, right what, what else you got? Yeah, let's just go one more question here. Okay. Uh, this is a fun one. Um, so this American singer and jazz pianist was born in Montgomery, Alabama in March 17th, 1919. And went on to, according to Wikipedia, record over 100 songs that became hits on the pop charts. 
What, what's this have to do with coal or, or climate? What, what, well, what's this all, the, whole, the whole thinking outside the box. So it has nothing to do with it, in other well, words? Well, no, no, the, it's a homophone. Oh, oh, thank you. How about, uh, how about Cole Porter? Uh, that's not correct. Oh, dang it. I was going to say Al Jolson when you were first talking about it, but that didn't make sense. Uh, more hints? More hints? Yeah, more hints. He was the first African-American man to host an American television series. Oh, how, how about Nat King Cole? Boop, boop, boop. Wait, is that? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Nice job, Craig. Nice job, well, Craig. It took, it took a few hints uh, leading, me, leading me down the right uh, right pathway there. But uh, I, I thank you for that. That, uh, oh, that was fun. That, yeah. was, that was fun again. It's nice and, to at least get him kind of right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know Nat King Cole did a little uh, Christmas album. Uh, he did. I, I, uh, you probably know that better than I would. What are you saying? I'm old? Like I'm like I was born in 1919? Come on, man. <laughs> That's exactly what I was implying. <laughs> Precisely. All right. Well, let, let's get back to um, some real channel shenanigans here. Uh, and that being our interview, uh, which you did, as I mentioned previously, solo. Uh, another one of your agent peeps. Uh, Want to hear all about it? Why don't you give us a little preview? Yeah, I talked to the fine folks at Resourcive and had a nice little conversation about their business model. Uh, they work with private equity firms. They they provide services to them. Mm. So it was really interesting learning about what that client base is like, um, as well as just sort of the trends that they're experiencing as a partner firm uh, trying to grow in this fascinating business environment. Oh, that should be very educational maybe even more educational might i say than your little trivia we just went through i think you're going to get a whole lot more value out in that <laughs> all right and after the uh, interview uh, be sure to stick around because i've got my own little holiday thing it might not quite be as creative as james trivia contest but uh, it should be a little fun too sound good i'm always excited to see what you cook up with no that's not the word to see what you <laughs> what you cooked up craig all right, we'll do it in just a bit. All right, Casties, we are very pleased to be joined by Kyle Hall, the president of Resourcive, and Nick Cressy, the managing director of strategic partnerships at Resourcive. Uh, and Resourcive, as many of you know, is a high-performing partner, and uh, that uh, has a lot of strong relationships uh, across the channel, um, uh, not to mention with many uh, end-user customers. So... Guys, welcome to the show. Been been looking forward to having you on. Thanks for having us, James. Happy to be here. Yeah, nice talking to you. And uh, we're speaking to uh, our peers in the podcasting industry as well. You want to want to tell uh, the audience a little bit about your uh, the show you got going on? Yeah, rap. no problem doing that. Yeah, uh, calling it the Rap Resourceive as a podcast. Uh, I don't know, Nick. What are we on episode twenty five or so? Think. Something like that. Something like that. It started very, uh, very carrier heavy, and now we're we're branching out a little bit, talking to some CIOs that we've worked with, uh, some folks in the private equity space. So it's it's been pretty fun. Um, I, I bust on Kyle every week. We were we were joking before we jumped on here. It's it's not that easy, is it? You know, making interesting content without messing up, sounding <laughs> intelligent. That's what we're trying to do today. Yeah, the sounding intelligent. Part <laughs> big issue for me right uh, right cool well uh, could you tell us a little bit about resources so uh you mentioned a little bit about your customers but 
Um, who do you serve? What are your, what's sort of your sweet spot? How old is the company? Uh, what kind of background you got in the company? Yeah, sure. So Resource has been around, uh, I guess, about 20 years now. Um, started in the multi-location retail space. Uh, really, you know, working with larger customers even even back then. Um, primarily coming in, uh, performing an inventory, partnering with clients on how to, you know, save money, reduce uh, reduce expenses, specifically in the telecom area. Um, you know, coming out of that, we still use a lot of the principles, um, you know, from those processes. Uh, but today we're, you know, a, a little bit different in that we're looking for long-term, you know, long-term partnerships with our clients. We're calling that persistent value creation. Um, really getting in, partnering with the, a lot of times the sourcing professionals um, and looking at how do we add as much value as possible to that sourcing uh, project, help our clients, you know, ultimately um, execute on their strategic objectives and uh, look to deliver outcomes in any way possible. Primarily, we're doing that in the mid-market and enterprise. So companies, you know, anywhere from call it 250 million in revenue up to about 5 billion, um, you know, large enough to have complexity and need, you know, our, our insights and our uh, abilities, but small enough that they don't have internal teams that are really doing what, what we do and what we bring to the table. Um, most of them are private equity owned. And, you know, I guess I'll, I'll let Nick talk about that some, but, um, you know, companies that are looking to grow are post M&A, um, you know, some level of additional complexity over and above just, hey, this is a large wide area network. This is, you know, a large voice deployment. There's, there's almost always something else going on in that environment that's requiring them to work with someone like us. And for both of you, you weren't necessarily with resources from the beginning. You you both came from the military, right? So how did you find yourselves uh, at a partner firm like a resource? How did you get there? I'll tell that story. So Kyle and I were going through a transitioning institute called the Honor Foundation back in 2017 as we were both. He was separating from the Army, Green Beret, Special Forces. I was a boat guy, Special Warfare, Combatant Craft Crewman at Special Boat Team 20. And we were in the Honor Foundation together. As we're there, a student, a Navy SEAL named John Allen starts Elite Meet. Elite Meet is a, basically a, a networking event uh, that puts special operators and CEOs in the same meeting room. And Kyle and I, on the very first one, stand up and we meet our CEO, or our eventual CEO, Tom Geske. He was there, was interested in the backgrounds of special operators, said, I think this would be great for our culture here at Resourceive. And sure enough, Kyle and I are transitioning out of the Navy and, 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 and Army. And before you know it, we're, we're working at Resourceive. So it's uh, not your typical transition story. Uh, it's not your typical uh, background of an IT consultant focused on procurement and private equity, right? But man, it's it's been really fun. Yeah, what was that like, uh, Kyle and, and, and also Nick, you know, jumping into these, you know, seemingly incredibly niche technologies and and stuff that uh even i i write about this industry i don't i don't get half of it like how, how long did that take to pick that up you know we were we were immersed and it's it's probably worth worth noting i think the both where i came from and where nick came from you know i mean your any given deployment is always different any given mission set's always 
different. So that act of kind of studying, researching, learning, and immersing yourself in something was a muscle we had we had worked out previously, even prior to transitioning. But to your point, um, you know, if you would have asked me five years ago, or I guess six years ago when I was still in, you know, if I was going to be in this industry, I would, I would have said, what? what what industry is that? I didn't, I didn't know it existed, right? I didn't know that that this space existed when I was looking at what I, you know, what I did on my next mission sort of thing. But once I, once I kind of sat down with Tom and learned about it, I, uh, you know, was kind of immediately compelled by it. it's a very attractive uh, business model. And ultimately, the act of being able to partner with our clients and then work by, with, and through vendors wasn't that dissimilar. Stick with me here because it probably seems very dissimilar, but wasn't that dissimilar from what I had done previously. You know, as a as a Green Beret, you're essentially chartered to go into foreign countries and partner with their, you know, their armies or, um, you know, their even potentially their militias, right? Like in the in the case of Afghanistan, the very early days in the Northern Alliance, um, and work to achieve Uncle Sam's strategic objectives. So, you know, today we kind of partner with private equity firms. They deploy us into their portfolio companies. And then we look at, hey, how do we work with the vendor ecosystems that are out there to bring as much value as possible to this company? And how do we how do we lead them to do that? So there's a surprising amount of similarities um, that are there. And, and overall, it's been a, a, a great transition. I mean, transition from the military is a challenge. And I would I would Put a plug here for things like the Honor Foundation and Elite Meet, which are very important organizations. Because, you know, I think most listeners have probably transitioned careers, and that has its own challenges, right? And then you add something like transitioning industries, which is which would be even more challenging. Transitioning from the military to the private sector is a challenge for all sorts of reasons. But there are some really great organizations like the ones I mentioned out there doing really good work here in this space. And it's interesting talking to partners. This year, I always hear about the struggles that they have recruiting and and bringing on talent. Do you think maybe in a lot of cases, you know, outside of resourcive, they're looking in maybe the wrong places for talent? I think potentially so. I mean, look, I'm I'm actively recruiting and I have found it quite challenging to recruit from within this industry. Part of what we're working on and have worked on is how do we take people from special operations and bring them in and predictably, you know, put them through a training and onboarding program, give them the exposure and the increasing roles and responsibilities over time to bring them up to a consultant and a senior consultant um, in our space. I like that area, you know, a lot for recruiting, you know, selfishly, I would say, don't look, don't look there at all. Um, (laughs) But out of interest for, you know, my, my, you know, kind of, Brothers and sisters from that space, absolutely. Go look there. There's a ton of talent um, coming out of the military. And I think a lot of times, you know, if people don't know, they, they kind of think, oh, like military, that that transitions to blue collar. And that's not, that that's really not the truth from, from my experience. Nick, any sort of um, takeaways that you have or, or things that you're directly applying from your career? Oh, man. I mean, everything, right? The the communication skills, the being able to talk up and down the ladder. I mean, you got to think I was a I got an undergrad in business, but I was coming out of the military, going and walking into boardrooms, talking to private equity firms with one hundred billion dollars in assets under management. Mind you, I really didn't know what I was talking about. 
I mean, really early on, honest to God, I mean, you can study all you want, but if you get tossed into an SD-WAN conversation with the CIO of a big private equity firm, you better know what you're doing. I was confident enough to be able to fall back on, you know, my talk tracks and, and, and knowing where I was safe. And look, I mean, four years later, of course, I know a whole lot more and it's even better to be competent and confident, but sometimes you got to just be able to put it together, put on a suit and go have that conversation. And Ask anyone that's been special operations deployed with with a, a mission upcoming. You know, those are some stressful days, and it's not just the execution of the mission; it's also the briefing, and it's winning that mission, etc. So, I cannot tout those. You know, the, the transitioning operators, any veteran, but you know, obviously very loyal to transitioning special operators. You give them a, a mission, you give them a task. Of course, you have to have the culture that enables them. But if you do, you're going to be happy every time. That's such a fascinating insight to to see that comparison to the SD WAN deal. Um, so as you're as you're evolving, both of you are evolving and and really mastering these technologies, the business use cases. Um, curious how you see your customers evolving, your the CIOs that you're working with. I know you're talking to a lot of CIOs on your podcast. What are some of the uh, I don't know observations you've had um, interacting with them over the past uh, couple of years? Carrying out the the military analogies here, if you look at activities and put them into kind of a tactical, operational, and strategic level activities, um, what I see more and more of is IT leaders looking and saying, hey, I don't want my staff involved in tactical level activities, right? And what that really means is as a service um, type services that they're procuring, right? They want to get things delivered to them and have it work, right? Even see things like this, like network as a service coming out, right? No one wants to be running their own knock anymore. They don't want to be worried about those activities. They want to be focused on kind of, we say, up and out activities. How do we how do we implement technology in new or differentiated ways that actually increase the company valuation? And they want you know, themselves and their staff focused on that and getting the right vendors in place to to have the, you know, the rest of it just working. Nick, you see anything different at, at kind of your your levels? No, I think especially as you go up the enterprise, you're exactly right. There's a lot of times we're not talking to CIOs maybe prior to engagement once and then, you know, our consultants are collaborating with them a couple times, but the roadmap has been created and you know call it an IT director or infrastructure lead is running with it you know I guess from the private equity point of view we're seeing more and more firms care about leaning into procurement I will say even four years ago it was kind of new you know the Blackstones of the world that have all have always been thought leaders and, and really leaned into running lean and, and you know pushing those savings across the portfolio it wasn't adopted broadly uh, we're seeing, especially with valuations, just sky high they've been post-COVID, that this growth is great, but also we, we have to be mindful of our spend and we have to be mindful of the technology that's enabling that growth. And that's back to the digital transformation conversation. And that's back to you know what we do here. It's so interesting um, to be talking to a, a partner firm that is selling to private equity firms and advising them with technology during this time where every partner conversation I have is about private equity, but in a different way. And I guess, uh, without being too intrusive, how are private equity firms, I guess, 
different? What is what do they like? What what's like the 101 on a private equity firm, I guess? I feel like we can't say too much. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look, <clears throat> there's a common theme. Private equity moves fast. They're mm-hmm. demanding. And they're typically complex situations. Okay. You got to have a pretty special uh, ability to be flexible and not to beat around the bush, go all in on these projects. I mean, our consultants are working around the clock because our clients are around the world and they're messy, complex, and they're difficult. Um, and our projects don't end after a paper sign. They're, they end after a successful implementation, then and only then. Can we go back and tell private equity what we've done? So it's a very long sales cycle. Uh, you know, your word is everything. And, uh, you know, Kyle and the team love it. So do I. I think, James, maybe part of your question was, as some of our peers and and people in the channel are looking at potentially taking money from private equity, was it a little bit more of that, too? It's a little, yeah. Any sort of meandering thoughts you have as, as uh, you know, they're they're meeting these people for the first time, I guess. Well, and maybe maybe it's like a look into sort of the psychology of that, I guess. Uh, I think for many yeah. of them, it's their their first time doing that. That was yeah. Fun. I mean, especially early on, right? So the the industry that that we are in in our niche industry, um, it P P money is just starting to come into it. Typically, the first money that enters an industry from PE is focused on the financial aspects of it, right? So they're either looking at um, multiple arbitrage, right? So we we see that very clearly with with some of the acquisitions that are happening in our space, right? Buy a couple small ones, you do it a, a certain multiple, you get enough valuation, now you can have a different sort of multiple. Potentially, we'll see some platform plays follow that, so they'll find... Um, you know, great investments that are operationally sound and look at how do we roll up um, companies that aren't as operationally sound, bolt them onto this, um, and then you'll have a little bit of multiple arbitrage plus operational um, play. But a lot of it early on is going to be focused more on the financial sides of it, which is interesting in our business because the financial modeling of our business is, you know, of, of our industry in general is a little a little nuanced. I mean, when I was first starting, even in this industry five years ago, there were conversations that the master agents were having, uh, I guess, um, technology services distributors now, um, about how to talk with banks to be able to get working capital because banks didn't understand the nuances of, of the cash flow in our industry. Um, so it's it's still very early, but, uh, you know, clearly there's there's alpha to be had here. Private equity knows it. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to see a whole lot of money enter the space. One final piece on it that I think is important, back to your kind of core question, what, what should people potentially be thinking about as they're having some of those conversations, is just alignment on on the goals, right? Every every firm basically has, you know, a thesis or a set of a set of theses that they are looking to invest in and operate on. Every owner, operator, president, CEO, whatever the title is has some strategy that they are looking to utilize. Aligning those two is kind of where the magic can happen. Being misaligned in those is where, you know, you can have potentially situations that aren't as pleasant. Got it. Thanks for those insights um, there, guys. You want to tell me a little bit more about resources? So um, what are some of the things you're excited about um, in the upcoming year? 
I don't know, accomplishments, you know, want to toot, toot your own horn a little bit um, of resources in, in, in the past uh, few years. No, I mean, Kyle, I'm, I'm super excited about what's coming. It's the best year in company history. I think we see the next two to three being even better. We have uh, a really dialed in team. And I think more and more we're seeing that the channel is a bit more friendly than it has been, especially, again, when we are when we are talking about some collaboration with carriers in the enterprise. It, it's been difficult historically, but I think we have uh, we've had some good experience this year and it's just building blocks for the way ahead. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm excited about continuing to expand the team and the services that, that we consult on in areas we impact within our business. We've done a, a lot of work over the past couple of years, um, first and foremost, and breaking down silos even within our own organization, having our BD you know, work hand-in-hand hand with our consulting, work hand-in-hand hand with our implementation. I see that as, as really full cycle, right? Ultimately, especially in the space we operate in, you know, the private equity firms, they don't celebrate a thing when a deal gets inked with a carrier. Um, and we don't either, right? Because that doesn't make any positive impact for our clients, um, with the exception of maybe a renewal or a write down or something like that. But really, where the real value happens is on the other side of an implementation. So, building out, you know, our organization to be able to be full cycle in that same way was was very important. We we have we have accomplished that, and the way that we we see that and know that is we are getting continuously more and more projects out of our clients, right? I mean, we come in, we do an initial work stream. They say, hey, you guys did great. You know, you did great on the network. Can you help us on our voice? Can you help us on our contact center? How about us, our security or our cloud? Um, you know, and that's that's what we wanna be doing, right? I mean, we obviously are, are getting new logos and new companies that we're partnering with all the time, but having that persistent kind of value creation within the companies that we partner with is is key we've we've built out that model we're executing on that model and you know for us it's really um you know time to time to continue growing you know running and operating a business kind of like a, a clutch and a gas pedal you know and sometimes you're on a hill and sometimes that that hill is really steep but we feel like we're on on pretty flat ground and really time to stomp on the gas here that's terrific uh, to be able to be expanding that that customer wall. That's that's amazing. Nick, do you want to talk a little bit more about the the synergies that are like increasing, expanding in terms of relationships in the channel? Could you talk a little bit more about um, that evolution you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it just it, I think it's a two way trust, to be honest with you. I think a lot of times uh being able to collaborate with these with these vendors that are incumbents and being able to come in and show that the channel can provide value right in a lot of cases we're coming into post MA environments where yes they there may be a certain level that's been locked up well it's our job to tell that incumbent hey there's a lot more here and let's transform so we're not doing this again in 24 months maybe you know we're we're looking out we know these roadmaps and we're able to to, to sit down with, with the big guys, I mean, the AT&Ts, the Verizon, the Lumens, et cetera, and say, look, this is mutually beneficial. Um, and this year has been a, a, a big change in that. Honestly, I feel like there was there was a fair amount of resistance historically because we don't typically go in and, and just do a, a return. We are looking for that transformation because that is what the private equity firms want us to do. And being able to do that in a collaborative sense and a partner mentality with some of these these bigger legacy incumbents has been um, it's been a, it's been better than it has been historically. 
Fantastic. Thanks for that insight. Um, is there anything else uh, either of you would like to touch on before we close? I would just reiterate, we're, we're looking, we're looking to grow. We're looking to hire. Um, you know, I think, I think probably a lot of your listeners are potentially, um, you know, candidates that, that I would be interested in speaking to personally. You can uh, learn a little bit about us by listening to our podcast that you mentioned earlier, uh, but also connecting, following us on LinkedIn. Um, you know, any, any of that stuff, we're, we're really excited about the future here. I think that the time is now for, for this industry and, and definitely for our business. Awesome. Uh, yeah, go check out the wrap. That's com. That's where you can find everything. Awesome. And what was the indus- the organization that connected both of you to Resource? What was that called again? Initially, it was the Honor Foundation, and there's also something called Elite Meet. So check both of those out as well. Both are great for, for transitioning special operators. Terrific, gents. Well, I really appreciate you uh, you sharing your backgrounds, your stories, and really, really glad that you're here with us. Uh, in the trenches that are the the channel. And uh, thanks so much for coming on to the show today. Thanks for having us, James. Thanks, James. Well, Craig, I thought that was an interesting conversation, and in particular, kind of learning about the the military pipeline to the channel, which is very much still in development. Yeah, no doubt. They have a great story, James. Uh, You talk about their background, uh, recruiting talent, uh, you had mentioned previously their involvement in private equity and how that works. You talked about that a lot. Uh, I enjoyed hearing about it. And uh, it was just another all-around great interview uh, by you, and you you got some great interview subjects there as well. Why, thanks, my man. And uh, here I am back on the main flagship portion of the episode with one of the greatest podcast disc jockeys of all time, Craig Galbraith. All right, Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. <laughs> yeah, and it made it easier this time, uh, especially with it being the holidays and you you doing that solo. It, it let me focus on uh, less. It was perfect. All right, James, before we get into my little fun holiday thing that I came up with, um, I thought it'd be uh, worthwhile just to sort of recap uh, what's been an amazing year here for Channel Futures, our entire InformaTech team, the Channel Partners Conference and Expo. Just sort of looking back at a couple of the big highlights. How does that sound? I am a nostalgic son of a gun, Craig. Let's do it. All right. So I, I think the big thing was the return to live events, right? I mean, it was so fantastic to get out there to some industry events, uh, but particularly, I'm a little biased. I don't know about you, uh, but that first week in November, the First live Channel Partners Conference and Expo in more than two years. It was fantastic to see everyone. We had about 6,200 a total registrants, which was right there with what we had pre-pandemic in 2019. We had an all-time record for sponsors and exhibitors. It just is a harbinger, if you will, for a fantastic redo at the Channel Partners Conference and Expo in April coming up in 2022. What do you think? Yeah, Craig, you know, I I really enjoyed it. I was very happy to see everyone, um, to see so many people that we've been sort of fraternizing with over the last two years in writing stories and in hosting virtual events. Um, And then to to sort of consummate that uh, in at the real show and to see everybody, that was really special. And um, and so it, it meant a lot to me, and it was good to see so many of you. You know, and the funny part for me is I, I've seen so many people uh, over the past year and a half over video mm-hmm. uh, that 
I almost forgot in some cases who I'd actually met in person. Did you ever run into that uh, while you were at the show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I will say I really didn't I really kept my head down before the pandemic mm-hmm. like I was really focused on my stories I was not the best of uh networkers and I feel like the the having to do video like made networking a lot easier for me yeah. um so I don't know I, I feel like I came back a very new person uh, a little bit of irony right you were uh, out there more during the pandemic because of video interesting interesting very true very true All right, so uh, the other big highlight for us here at Channel Futures, I think, uh, came on April 1st. That's when we combined uh, the old Channel Partners Online website with Channel Futures and created this one mega site that serves the entire telecom and IT channels. So we were very fortunate. Our uh, loyal audience uh, joined up with uh, a new audience, and uh, traffic to that website has been just fantastic, uh, bigger than we probably could have ever dreamed of over the past uh, several months, uh, highlighted by our MSP501 release. Uh, You know, we've been doing that for a number of years, but the MSP501 was bigger and better than ever this year. Craig, it's been awesome to bring together all these different beats into the same website. You've got uh, folks like Allison Francis who are really crushing the MSP beat and have some of these really awesome sources that are, that are, are speaking into news uh, about MA and best practices in ways that I really haven't seen before. We've got a, a great VAR contingent, uh, people covering some of the uh, the larger hardware and even um, software vendors. Yeah. And we also have our traditional agent, telco, connectivity, broker, whatever you want to call it, uh, channel. And it's it's been fun to have them all on the same platform. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, we're, we've been everywhere uh, the last many months, and we've got a great staff of editors who have been covering it all, as you said. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure. Uh, I guess the other big thing we'd want to talk about from the past year is our own uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts here at Channel Futures. Uh, you want to talk about that briefly? Yeah, it was it was wild, Craig. A uh, couple, I think, a couple weeks ago, the trade show news network or the TSNN mm. announced the Created a Community Award, which goes to a organization that demonstrates and promotes diversity, equity, and inclusion at its events. And that went to Channel Partners. That went that went Woo-hoo. to uh, our team. So it was pretty cool. And definitely, definitely owe that not just to uh, the people spearheading that on our team, but but uh, the people in in this community. This channel community ecosystem that have been part of this movement, and so the critical mass uh, that's gone uh-huh. on has been really wonderful. Yeah, and we also we also uh, released our first ever DEI 101 list uh, this year, which was awarded uh, to influential people in the DEI community in the channel. Uh, over the past year. So that was pretty exciting. We're going to do that again in 2022. So much more excitement ahead, my friend. And and I look forward to continuing this podcast with you in 22 as well, if our loyal casties will have us. Please let us back. Please let us back. (laughs) So uh, what do we have left? Oh, my holiday thing. We got to do my holiday thing. You, You up for this? Yes, please. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, we both decided to come up with something. You did your 
little trivia that was uh, that was fun so uh what what i did is i i sort of did a take uh kind of a take on you to be honest with you here i I think you'll recognize the song i'm i'm gonna kind of sing it but i'm not gonna wholeheartedly sing it because i don't want to embarrass myself it's going to sort of be like a a talking song if that makes sense understandable understandable kind of like uh maybe like pod yeah yeah something like Something like that. But uh, here, here's another little uh, theme that I, I think you recognize, and I changed up the, the lyrics a little bit. So are you ready? Let's do this. Okay. You know Craig and a bunch of other editors, but do you recall a kind of well-known editor we call James the Crafty News Editor has a real nose for news, cable, SD-WAN, or agents, just about anything you choose. All of the other editors used to laugh and call him names like Mr. Anderson or Young Whippersnapper or the resident millennial. I guess it's just me who does that. They never let poor James join in any editor games like Scrabble. Then one day before the end of the month, Craig came along to say, website traffic needs a lift. James, do you catch my drift? (laughs) So James dug in and wrote a story. It got a million page views. That made Craig really happy. James sure knew his channel news. Then how the editors loved him because his content is never vague. James, the crafty news editor, now almost as famous as Craig. <laughs> Craig, I'm honored. I am so honored. You you always wanted a Christmas song in, in your honor, didn't you? I always uh, told you I always wanted to be on a Christmas special. I never told you that I wanted it to be a version of Rudolph, but that was actually about me. And that's actually what it was. So well, I'm, gl- I'm wow. glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Now, I think we probably better end this thing before uh, before people really want to like throw their laptops or their phones out the window after hearing me kind of sing. Uh, if you'd like to check out the archive of Coffee with Craig and James, you can go just about anywhere you get your podcast. Of course, we always enjoy it if you join us on where, James? Our flagship news site. Channelfeatures.com. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. We leave you with a little more holiday from 2007, my favorite band, Pearl Jam, their holiday single release that year to their fan club. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll catch you again in 2022. Be well, enjoy some eggnog, be happy. Mm-hmm.